And I like to wear African shirts. It reminds me of being home in Liberia. Let's turn in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look briefly at verse 18. And then at the same time, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. And that's going to be our primary text this morning. We're going to look at verses 35 through 38. So Matthew 16, verse 18, these are very familiar passages of Scripture for everyone here, I'm sure. But it's good for us to, to be reminded uh, of what God is doing and how he's doing it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now here we have uh, our Lord's declaration of something that he has promised to do. At this point in time, he has he uh, been saturating the land with his person and his ministry, his message and his works. And uh, he's, he's coming to a point in time where there's been some rejection in his ministry and uh, of, the, of the crowds to his message or to, to what, he, what he was preaching. And, uh, and, and he gets his disciples alone. He goes up to Caesarea Philippi, and he's, he's been trying uh, earnestly for, for some time now to get his disciples alone because he needs to let them know what is going on. And, and, and this declaration comes between two other great uh, confessions or declarations. The first one is where Peter, uh, after Jesus asked him, uh, but who do you say that I am? Peter says this. He says, uh, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to him, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So that, that great uh, confession of, uh, of Peter, of, that Christ is the long-awaited, hoped-for Messiah, the chosen one, the one that God had promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, uh, the one who would come and deliver us from evil, who would crush the head of the serpent. And he recognizes him, that he recognizes that he is the son of God, that he is, he is like his father. And so Jesus makes this declaration and then drop down a few verses. Verse 21, Peter, uh, Jesus reveals to his disciples that things aren't going as they think they're going. They thought that things were going swimmingly as the crowds were following, and Jesus knows. He knows the heart of man. He knows what's in man. He did not, does not uh, as John 2 says, he did not entrust himself to man because he knows what's in them. And so Jesus lets them know that he would go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now this, this rocks Peter's world. So Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. 
For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Sometimes I, I feel a lot like Peter. I don't know about you. Sometimes people uh, say that Peter suffered from foot and mouth disease. Right? And I feel exactly like Peter often. And sometimes, like Peter, I can get my mind on the things of man and not the things of God. After his death, burial, and resurrection, and prior to his ascension, Jesus continued to give instructions and commands to his disciples to follow. And we think right there prior to the ascension, how Jesus uh, there in Acts 1.8 gives a, a charge to his disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. You will bear witness about me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He also gives them the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. He says, all authority has been given to me under heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus tells his disciple, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. What are we to make of these these verses? These are often called the the, the various uh, examples of of the Great Commission, how Christ is, is giving his disciples then, and by extension, us, we, his disciples now, the charge to go into all the world and, 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 and to expand the kingdom as we are the church, as the church is on, uh, on the advance, as the church is to pre- preach the gospel and make disciples. How do we do that? How do we fulfill the Great Commission? How do we be Jesus' witnesses? How do we uh, go as ones who were sent out? Well, in all those verses there, Jesus uh, reveals that we are going out under his authority. He says, all authority has been given to me. We are going out in his power. He says, wait, wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And every believer who has believed in the, in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ receives the, the promise of the Holy Spirit to, to dwell in us and to be with us. And he says his presence is with us. So his authority, his power, and his presence is with us as we do this. But then how do we do that? I was talking to someone earlier, uh, last night actually, and um, I didn't realize this, that California has a Bible belt. I was just shocked. I'm glad to hear it. And this county, apparently, is the buckle of the California Bible belt. That's good to hear. It's good to, it's good to be in the buckle, isn't it? 
Because I think sometimes when we hear that, you know, and we believe, we're all, we all believe and just cherish the fact that Jesus said, I will build my church. Amen? I mean, we, we, this is something he's promised. The Lord of glory, he is going to do it. This is his church. He will do it. He will build it. And we, we relish in that. We, we, we cherish that fact. But then we live in a, in a land, in a culture that it just feels like we're under assault. Sometimes it can feel like we're under siege, right? Uh, like we can be tempted to get into a... I guess it felt the spirit move. <laughs> that we could be under a bunker mentality. You know, here you are in the buckle and, and, and uh, where around you truth is under assault. But what does Jesus says? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is a church on the offense. The church is the church that advances. And we can take great encouragement in that. But in that comes the question, how? How do we do that? Well, thankfully, Matthew gives us, in Matthew chapter 9, a summary of how Jesus did ministry. And Jesus is our example. In all things, we are to follow his example. And Matthew provides us an example of how Jesus ministered. Now, I want to share with you four ways from this passage that we could, as ones who are seeking to be like our master, and Jesus said every disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like what? Their master. We want to be like Christ. Amen? We, want, we know that we have been redeemed for eternity, but Christ left us here so that we may be conformed to his image and that we may be used by him to advance his church. We are his instruments of transformation. You here in Tehachapi are left here by Christ to advance the church. So I want to share with you four ways. I'm just going to give you a brief outline. We're not going to go, as we say in Liberia, I'm not going super deep now. Because I want to be able to share you with some slides what it looks like. So this is just a skeleton, and then I'll put some flesh on the bones with the pictures. Verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. And so we find the first way that we can advance the church there in verse 35, the first part of it, where it says that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. We need to be teaching truth, church. We need to be recognizing the fact that we are the church of the living God, the pillar of and buttress of the truth. Truth resides with us. We have been given the very words of God. 
And as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, we hold forth the, the truth. We hold firm to the truth. We are people of the book. We are to be people of truth. Jesus would say, to, praying to the Father in John 17, he says, Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We are God's instruments. We reside and live where we do. God has not taken us to heaven yet. Probably no one here is going to have on their tombstone, he walked with God and was not. Hopefully we have he walked with God or she walked with God. But he leaves us here for a purpose. There's good works that he, has, that he ordained before the foundation of the, of the world. As he has saved us by his grace, now by his grace we are to live. And we are to hold forth truth to a dark and lying or dark world who believes the lies of the devil. This is nothing new. Ever since the beginning, when Satan came slithering up to Eve, he questioned God. Has God indeed said? Jesus himself would say the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a liar. And he's held sway over many cultures and many belief systems of this world. Whether it's California, the United States, Liberia, Algeria, people are in bondage to lies. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Amen. So we are to be people of the book holding forth truth. This is not something that is only done in a formal setting. I mean, when we read that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, and, and he went to the synagogues, we could be tempted to think, well, this is a, only in a formal setting. And Certainly there were those times, I mean, Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, we have the account of Jesus going to his hometown synagogue and opening the scroll of Isaiah and expounding on the scroll of Isaiah. Vexed the people there. That's a good Liberian word. He, they were vexed and they wanted to throw him over the, over the cliff. Because when you speak truth, oftentimes people don't like it. But nevertheless... We speak truth. Another time, Jesus uh, was in Capernaum, his, his adopted hometown. And he's, he's preaching and he's, and he's letting people know that he's the bread of life. And he also says some pretty difficult truth. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can't be my disciple. And the crowds who had been following Jesus like he's some kind of rock star said, oh, that's a hard saying. I can't bear it. So Jesus turns to his disciples and says, well, what about you? What is it that Peter says? To whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of life. You have the words of truth. Now, Jesus taught in formal settings but he also taught in many informal settings. I think probably the, the majority of his teaching 
was out and just doing life, life on life with his disciples, life on life with the crowds, taking you know, the slices of life, metaphors from agriculture, things that they would have known. I think this is because he, he, he took the heart as himself, someone who knew Scripture, someone who had, as a little boy had memorized the Word of God. He took the heart, passages like Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. All the time, all the time, God's Word in our heart, God's Word being taught to our children, God's Word being taught to our neighbors, God's Word being taught in the workplace, God's Word, and it doesn't mean we're having to quote Bible verses. We could just have our, our, our conversation laced with Scripture. When we do that, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and works in the heart of the hearer. It's not up to us. We're just the, the sowers. One plants, one waters. God gives an increase. Praise God. He's sovereign over that. Jesus said, I will build my church. And that's how he does it. As we teach truth, as we share God's word, God is at work. Sometimes we need to teach comparatively. We do that in Liberia. We, we're always holding up God's truth over against Satan's lies. These are worldview issues. People believe what they believe. And that belief, that core worldview, affects what they value. And then what they value affects how they behave. You just peel that onion, you get down to what they really believe. You need to help people understand. This is what God says about the world that we live in. And lovingly show them how what they may be believing it's not lining up with Scripture. We have to do that in Liberia all the time. Constantly, constantly. We'll see that in the, in, the, in the slides. I'll show you what that looks like. But brethren, we need to be teaching the truth. If we don't, who will? If you're not teaching your children, if you're not sharing God's Word, people are taking in information every day. Thousands of bits of data every day, wherever they are, they are getting it. We need to make sure that they are getting God's word, God's truth into their life. So that's the, that's the first way. The second way is that we need to proclaim the gospel. The greatest truth that we could ever share with somebody is the fact that God sent his son to live a life that we could not live and to die a death that we could not die. That Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, no sin. But he, yet he understands us. He can sympathize with us in our weakness. And then he went to the cross willingly, giving up his life to atone 
for our sin, to pay the penalty for our transgression and our iniquity. This, the guilt and the shame of our sin is all on Christ. And then by miracle miracles, God places his righteousness on us when we believe by faith in his death, burial, and resurrection and ask him to come and be the Lord of our lives. That's the greatest truth that we could ever share with anybody. There's no greater truth and no greater story than what God has done in Christ Jesus. We need people to understand that when they come to Christ in repentance and faith, that this is a, this is a journey that they are beginning. That they, are, they now have a king. It says here that Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And a kingdom has a king. And a, kingdom has, a king has subjects that are to be committed and loyal to their king. That's who we are. The community of the redeemed, Christ followers, are ones who by his grace and his power are able to submit and live in loyal love to our great God and King Jesus Christ. We need to be sharing that with people. We don't need to back away from that. It's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. Think how many people that you know that are without Christ today. How will they know unless you are the one that shares Christ with them? If they don't know Christ and you're in a work relationship or some other kind of relationship with them at school or the community, you are God's chosen instrument to be used by him to share the love of Christ. So we need to teach truth. We need to proclaim the gospel. But we also need to practice compassion. I mean, we, we could be really big on truth. And if we have, uh, if we present it in such a way uh, that's kind of cold and just fact-oriented, you know, as Paul says, you, you can give your body to be burned. If you have not love, it's nothing. We need to have love. We need to practice compassion with our neighbors, even the people that surround us in this island of this belt buckle in the Bible belt. You're surrounded in a sea of insanity. You know, and I say this as one, you know, I'm not turning on Fox News and I can get riled up, but now I got to remember. These people are created in God's image. These are people for whom Christ died for and offers himself to them. Who am I? God loves them. Who am I? I'm only saved by grace. Who am I? Not to love them. Not to have compassion. After all, they're believing a lie. The God of this age has blinded them. They need the gospel. They need the truth. They need compassion. That's what Jesus had. 
Let's look here at the text again. Still in verse, the last part of verse 35. He was healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looked upon the crowds and saw that they were scattered, that they were weary, that they were dejected, that they were discouraged, that the word there uh, for helpless is the, has a root that could be the cast down. There was no, they had no shepherd. Just like most of the people in the world today has no shepherd. Oh, praise God, many have come. Jesus said, I need to bring other sheep into this fold that, I, that, are, that are not here now. And he's been doing that. He's been doing that through his church. But how many billions of people still do not know Christ? And these are people whom he is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. And they're not just in faraway lands like Albania or Liberia. They're on military basis. We have a, a missionary co- or cross-cultural worker couple here. I wholeheartedly endorse that CCW. It's just hard to break old habits sometimes. And I know you're doing that here. I know, I know your, your people for whom Christ is conforming and transforming. And I've already spoken to many of you. You know, I was talking with a dear sister in the Lord of how she is involved in grief share. And, and certainly that's where we need to be showing compassion and love. And we need to do that to the household of God. But we also need to do it to the community around us and to the, the, your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, to, and to the ends of the earth. That word compassion is interesting. Uh, it's the same word that Jesus used when he's talking about the Samaritan in the parable of the Good Samaritan when the Samaritan looks on the man who had been left uh, bleeding and robbed and for dead, and he looks on it and says he looked on him with compassion. That's the Samaritan. That's after the, the Levite and the, and the priest, they'd already passed by, right? The religious folks. It's is a word that we get our word for spleen. So it has the idea that the, the, the emotions are, are in here, in the gut. So we can say that Jesus had a gut-level reaction to what he was seeing, the condition of the people. We have a saying back home, perhaps you have it here, we can say when we get that kind of a feeling in our stomach, we can say that our stomach is tied into knots. It's a, it's, a, it's a feeling that you get perhaps when you've heard of a child maybe that's in danger or maybe someone's, uh, your child or someone, a neighbor's child or a family member has been diagnosed with leukemia or, or some other form of cancer. You just get that feeling in your gut. You, your stomach gets tied into knots. That's the reaction Christ had. When he saw the people, he had a gut-level reaction he cared about the whole person. He didn't just go preaching the gospel. 
He didn't just tell them to repent. He loved them. He was willing to go where they were, be a part of their life. I think of the, the story of the leper when he, in, in Matthew chapter 8 as he comes down off the mountain and there's this leper and he asks him if he would heal him. He says, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. And Jesus, it says, touched him. He said, I'm willing. Be clean. The power of the human touch is a powerful I never forgot I was in Liberia and I visited a leper colony and a friend of mine was doing some work down there. He lives there several months out of the year. And one of the things he told me, he says, you know, one of the main ways that leprosy affects somebody is, is their hands. I mean, you see it in other parts of the body, but their hands, their hands will kind of clench up like this. They can't help it. They just kind of stay this way. And so we walked around the colony and saw some of what he's doing. And then he introduced me to this, uh, this, this man named Moses. And, um, and, he, and I saw him, you know, Moses come up to him and he shake, shook Eric's hand. And in Liberia, we have a distinctive snap shake. And so, you know, I saw him do that. And then he, he says, I want you to meet Gary. And so I turned to the man and I go just automatically because in Liberia, that's what you do. You, you, that is part of, you touch the person. You, you take the hand and you snap the hand. And, I, and, I, and I, as I turn to Moses, you know, I'm, I'm reaching out, and then what do I see? The clenched hand. And I have to admit, my heart kind of skipped a beat for a second there. And I touched him, and I snapped his finger as best as I could. We kind of laughed about it because it was difficult. But his lit, face just lit up. He was just beaming. Now, I learned later that he's not contagious at that stage. I was like, praise God. <laughs> I thank God that I, that I didn't have time to think. Because if I'd had time to think, I wonder if I would have made some kind of excuse. We need to teach the truth. We need to proclaim the gospel. We need to practice compassion. We need to pray for laborers. Let's look at the last verse there, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. So as we consider this verse, let's just consider a few reminders. Let's re remember that we're praying to whom we're praying is Jesus or the Lord of the harvest. This is his harvest. He's already promised that he will build his church. So we should take great encouragement and comfort from that fact. Again, the church is the church on advance. It's on offense, not defense. We need to be reminded of the need. The harvest is plentiful. Despite the fact that Jesus has been answering this prayer for 2,000 years or so, the need is still great. The harvest is still plentiful. And in God's economy, 
it's, it's amazing how that works because part of that is the process of the harvest that we take part in. Now, I've heard we have some farmers here, so you're probably well aware that you can't get a harvest until you do some plowing, until you do some sowing, until you do some watering. And hopefully they don't find a salamander somewhere that they cut your water off. There's a process that needs to happen for there to be a harvest. We need to be reminded that we need to pray with passion. Jesus says pray earnestly. This is a strong word. This this has the idea of uh, just imploring the Lord and begging him, God, please, we pray that you would send laborers into the harvest. But we better be ready, ready for the result. I remember praying that prayer many times, and I still pray it. Because we're praying for laborers for our, our work that come alongside us. And I pray for you know, worldwide and community-wide that God would send out laborers. But here's the thing. God will often answer that prayer with you. In fact, he always answers that prayer with you, his church the community of the redeemed. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, we see the disciples being sent out by Jesus in answer to that prayer. I remember years ago praying, and this was, this was before I, I sold our company and, and before I even got into seminary. I was praying. I, would, I, I was sitting in church, and uh, I had been reading John chapter 13, verse 34, 35, where Jesus is saying, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And I was honest, I was just, Lord, I want to be honest here, because you know all things. I like a lot of these people here, but I don't know if I love them. Teach me to love, help me to love these people, help me to love people. And then I, I pray, God, just give me a burning desire to tell people about Jesus. I know I'm supposed to be witnessing. I'm not doing it. Just, God, I pray for that. Well, at the time, I, you know, if I'd read a little bit further in the Bible, I would have read 1 John 5. It says, if we ask anything, anything according to his will, we have the confidence that he hears us, and we have that which we have asked for. Is it God's will? that we love people? Is it God's will that we tell people about Jesus? Pray those, pray. Pray that God would send out laborers in the harvest, but be careful. You might end up in Africa. That's what my wife says. She's like, why Africa? But God's done a work in her heart. She loves the people. Because she loves God. So we need to teach truth. We need to proclaim the gospel. We need to practice compassion. And we need to pray for more laborers. That's 
the skeleton. That's the outline. Now, as we go through some slides, I want to show you, I want to put some flesh on those bones and kind of show you what it looks like in Liberia. And as we look at this, I want to show you the context that we minister in, the kind of the, what Liberia is like, you know, the challenges, the obstacles that we face. Uh, but then I also want to, you know, these, keep in mind that these obstacles are opportunities for the, the church to advance. These are opportunities to teach truth, opportunities to practice compassion, opportunities to proclaim the gospel. This is life on life. I think this is what we're trying to take, what the text has done in our heart and share it there in Liberia. So as my family, my wife Michelle, I used to joke when we raised in support, uh, I would tell my family to stand and I would say, I do not have four daughters because my, my wife looks a lot younger and she, she looked like one of our daughters. I said, no, the little short ones, that's my wife. And then Ashley, uh, Bethany, and Sophia. Okay? And in 2012, we moved to Liberia. That's the capital. People want to know what, it's, what the city's like. It's not much. It's, uh, it's not a very modern type city, but we buy our, a lot of our groceries there. This is what most of Liberia is like. It's kind of two countries. You have Monrovia and then the interior. So that, this is just uh, kind of a typical village. Uh, mud daub, thatched roofs. Uh, as we move there, uh, just, you know, different context. So life becomes different. It's a culture of chaos. And you kind of get used to that. And for my wife, it was very difficult because she likes things in order. I'm a little bit more see, fly by the seat of your pants, so it didn't, doesn't bother me quite as much. But it's still, it's just different. And uh, we've even fueled up with, there with mayonnaise jars. Um, one of the things that was a big change is everything takes longer there. So that's a big part of our life. Is so a lot of our ministry has to come in those moments of life, the mundane, as we live with them. And so there, uh, we're, uh, we had to wash clothes by hand. Some of you may remember some of those old wash wards. Uh, we heat our water up on a, on a coal pot. And uh, my wife uh, has to use the old-fashioned iron there to get the clothes. And that was, uh, that was a, a, quite a hardship on my wife. So I said, well, how, how can we solve this problem of the iron? I said, well, we just won't iron our clothes. So problem solved. That's now a doorstop. Go ahead. So we use uh, a lot of coal. Uh, the people, the Liberian people make their own coal. And it's a process. Is how a lot of them make money. Um, they make, it's just a very difficult work for a little bit of money. Uh, people want to know what we eat, so I always throw a slide in there for food. Uh, a lot of rice with uh, some kind of spicy soup on there. Uh, if you come, we, we'll serve you that soup right there. And if you want, we can hold the chicken feet. So it's up to you, with or without. And then that other uh, pod there, that's cocoa. So that's where all your chocolate comes from, uh, something like that. So the infrastructure, Liberia, the, the health care. At one point, we had 50 doctors for 5 million people. Uh, the education system is in a shambles. Uh, the infrastructure is in shambles. Uh, they had a brutal war for about 25, spread over about 25 years and uh, really destroyed a lot of the country. So uh, this is in the bush, and so this is typical uh, bridge and how we get around in the bush. 
Rainy season has its own uh, challenges there. Um, that would make a nice tractor pull, but for getting around, it's not so good. And you know, the bridges and the, the logging trucks do a lot of damage. Um, so um, at one point, Liberia had 40% of West Africa's rainforest. I don't know what they're down to now, but uh, the trucks do a, a, a number on the roads. So I had a partner there for a while that would take me uh, into the bush and drop me on a Thursday, come pick me up on a Saturday. And I tell you, uh, the, the sound of the whoop, 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 whoop is one of the sweetest sounds you could ever want to hear. Uh, the villages are just not comfortable. Uh, they don't make chairs for me, my size, you know. So um, it's just, uh, it, it's a different life. But it's where the people are. You have to go to where the people are. You can't expect them to come to you. Even here in Tehachapi, right? Well, that's just another view. We're coming in on laundry day, as you can see. They, that's how they dry their clothes. Sometimes I take the ferry. Often we walk because the villages are where the people are. This is our community where we live. That's our road, Kokia Road. Francis Schaeffer said, no little people, no little places. God redeems people around the world, and he wants to use those people in their context, in their community. So as Christ is bringing people into his kingdom, as he's building his church, these are the people that he wants to use. We make disciples who will make disciples. No little people, no little places. So our context is traditional African religion. I won't go too much into all of that. It's, it's, it's what a lot of you have probably read or heard, you know, the animism, the, the ancestor veneration or worship, um, a lot of fear, a lot of shame. This is uh, an example here of how the people will turn to the, to the, the witch doctor for just the every day-to-day things. Uh, sometimes it's to put a witch on somebody. Sometimes it's to seek relief. So we want to bring a new context. So the uh, Lord led me to this Latin phrase a, a number of years ago called Quorum Deo. And, it, and the translation is before the face of God. And so uh, the idea is that we are to live all life under the authority of God and the presence of God and to the honor and glory of God. So uh, in Liberia, oftentimes they'll talk about, uh, you know, they'll, they'll talk about matters and they'll use the term business so they'll say well that god business or that woman business there or that that money business and they don't mix it they, they see them as being separate and we're like no all of life is god business and so we believe that again that working through the local church that we are to plant churches because this is how god works in the in our world today and so to do that we want to train leaders and he says, equip, empower, and release passionate, God-centered church leaders who will bring God's transforming peace and reconciliation to their communities. That picture there, uh, Stephen Smull, who was the largest palm wine producer in our village, got saved, and now he's one of our elders, preaching the Word of God. And that's a Good Friday service after we've shown the Jesus film in Fele, and that's the tribal language that we are dealing with. And so our, how do we do that? How do we train these men? Well, we, that's kind of the overarching 
you know, vision, we need something every day when we wake up. What do we do? And that's to, we seek to intentionally disciple believers to love Christ by living all of life in the presence of God. And that picture, by the way, that's making, that's making mud for daubing a house as the community of Baylor Baptist was helping somebody in the village. And that's, that's, that's a form of discipleship. So here, uh, Quorum Deo uh, provides that framework for us. And then in order to do that, central ministry focus, we, we, we break that out down into three parts. Uh, training Liberian leaders, sustaining Liberian communities, and educating Liberian children. Go ahead and advance it. So training Liberian leaders, that's the traditional pastoral training. Uh, this is a picture of uh, a brother that's, uh, we're doing the trust fall, right? Everybody knows that one. And we had a lot of fun. I, I love teaching the men there. And uh, we just have, I mean, it's just a lot of, uh, a lot of fun. Um, they're very jovial, uh, very childlike in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways they're not. Um, but we really focus on their character. Uh, sustaining Liberian communities. Uh, so there's three kind of dynamics that we uh, employ here. That's uh, the biblical worldview. Every um, workshop that we do in the sustaining aspect of our ministries is biblically integrated. The gospel, biblical truth, biblical principles. Uh, and then we also bring in uh, two more dynamics, one being uh, faithful management. We want to teach them to be wise stewards of what God has entrusted to them, and also simple technology. We don't want to bring something that they can't reproduce or that they can't sustain. So, for example, in our agriculture, people sometimes say, well, hey, how about I donate a tractor? I'm like, well, if you want to donate the tractor to me, amen. I, mean, I, love, <laughs> I miss my old tractor, but we're not going to use it in ministry because that's just not going to be sustainable or reproducible. Okay. Uh, biblically uh, integrated agriculture and life skills are the workshops that we do. We have a workshop called Farming God's Way. We have another one that's beekeeping that I'll show you in a minute. Uh, in fact, the picture there is of Anthony Yakpalo, and he's one of our, uh, I've trained him in beekeeping, and he's really taken it to heart, and now he is, he is one of our main trainers. And I'll send him on a motorbike to train somebody in a village. He does a really good job with it. He's really taking it hold of it. Uh, so we do other workshops there. Some of the life skills, uh, we, we want to do a sewing workshop where we uh, provide treadle, foot pedal machines to girls as we take them through a, uh, training. Again, it's biblically integrated. When they graduate from that, we'll give them the, the machine and we'll set them up in business. The other, uh, some of the other, the health workshops, uh, there's a huge need for that, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, this is our farm. Uh, so we, we, we go to villages and do the workshops, but we also bring, sometimes we bring them to our place, and this is the farm that um, uh, we, we built. Just, uh, everything's done by hand, no machines. Everything done with an ax, a shovel, and a, a machete. Um, and so we cleared all the land dug out all the stumps, and we've been putting in chicken houses and rabbit houses, and um, this is our, you see our Palava Hut classroom there. We try to teach them that everything should be beautiful, fruitful, or useful on the farm. Um, and so we've even done stuff like some uh, cooking technology to help them burn less fuel. So it's just on multiple levels we are able to come in and do things to help build that local capacity and for the pastors to be able to, to, to see God provide their needs. It's uh, ABC development, asset-based community development. Okay. 
So these are some of our fish ponds. Again, all dug by, I would love to have had a track hoe on that job right there, I'm telling you. I miss, our, I miss the track hoe. But, you know, the, the men can work. You know, you, especially you feed them double and they, and they get it done. And so we put some tilapia ponds in, but we found that we couldn't make enough money with the tilapia to justify what we were feeding them. And so I told the fish, you're on your own. Um, you know, God feeds the birds, he'll feed the fish. And uh, so we now we're still doing the fish ponds, but we're we're not doing it as far as making trying to make money. It's more going to be helping the pastor have some food for his own family. Okay. And so we do some experiments on the farm there. there we see there some uh, sweet potatoes that have been planted. We planted them two different ways to see uh, uh, which one worked better. And uh, because I can take the risk, they cannot take the risk. This is our beekeeping workshop. Uh, we, as we do the workshop, we, part of it is hands-on, so they construct the hives, and then we show them how to make smokers. Uh, we, go, we also uh, teach them how to make the bee suits, and uh, there they are. There's some, uh, it's a Kenyan top bar hive, and you see the, the, the honeycomb there. And so here's a country that's uh, gross national income, probably the net income is probably around 700 U.S. a year. For family, and with honey, they can make about $500 a year, so almost doubling their their income. Um, you can see us measuring out the honey with our with our mayonnaise jars there, and then I also teach them about marketing. I say you got to learn how to sell your honey. So there's my daughter there presenting the honey, and I mean, if I had some here, who could resist buying honey? If she was here, I could just I should have had her here with honey samples, and we'd sell out. Go ahead. So here's a, this is a rabbit hutch that we are constructing. Again, that's simple technology. This is material that God has provided in the bush. And so we are making, taking bamboo and making a rabbit hutch out of it. This is another workshop, a uh, basic bookkeeping workshop. And as you look closely there, you can see instead of having to write all the words out, sometimes we just teach them to draw pictures because there's high, high illiteracy in Liberia. Now, some of you may be saying, well, gosh, how can God use me? Well, that there is Sister Julie Alexander, and she, is a, she was an auditor, accountant, for 22 years. And when I found that out, well, you can see what happened. There she is teaching our bookkeeping workshop. You don't know what God could, how God can use you in many different ways. This is our Big Belly Baby Ma workshop. Go ahead. So there's uh, Michelle. She's uh, d d just teaching. There's a lot of ungodly practices. And I mean, think about it. When you were, when you first, with your first child, I remember mine. Uh, we went to all the Lamaze class and all that kind of stuff, you know. And, and I about passed out because I was hyperventilating, you know. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things. You new parents, you don't know what to do half the time. And, well, it's no different there. And but there's a lot of bad things that they practice uh, that are very harmful and just, just oftentimes neglect and so this is a crucial workshop uh, when a woman there is pregnant they, she's said to have big belly okay. so you now if you want to use that men you know be careful make sure she's pregnant okay I'll say, oh big belly there so Michelle I mean the women love her she she is uh, actually uh, when we came home she started on her nursing degree because she was already doing and we said, well, we, we, this is not, we can't do this. She's not licensed. 
So she was already helping deliver babies, and all the women want her to be with them because she cares. She practices compassion. And so she is, when she goes back, she will be enrolled in the local university. It's about 30 minutes from our house. Uh, it's in the interior, but it's a, it's a decent school, and they have a nursing program that has a specialization in midwifery. And so that's her goal is to, is to, she'll be the only white student there. And she will have to go through a very frustrating uh, clinicals there in their system because they don't have what we have. But she won't be frustrated either <laughs> when she's having to practice. So we train the Liberians. We want to, our goal is not for us to be doing all the, the work. So this is Stephen. He, he's, he's at the Big Belly Workshop. And he's the one who's going to be presenting the, presenting the, the gospel. And so uh, we talked about training Liberian leaders, sustaining Liberian communities. Now we're, this is educating Liberian children, uh, the next generation. Some 60% of the population is under 18. So there's a huge need for, for schools and for teachers. Most of the villages don't have a school at all. And so just some, some more children there in a, in a remote village. I can go and teach. This is a slide we call, uh, it's kind of our version of Where's Waldo, Where's Sophia? Okay, see here. So that's our, that's Sunday school on Sunday morning at Dela Baptist Church. Okay. She's just one of the kids. That's how she sees herself. She, she doesn't, she, you can probably say, you, you know, you know your wife. Oh, I am. That's the local church uh, is, is what we believe in. We believe in that, that God, that is God's uh, agent of transformation wherever, wherever it is. And this is one of our preaching elders, uh, uh, Lawrence, and he's also our farm manager. And he's just happy because he had been baptized and his wife, I just baptized his wife. That's that, after that, they're the ones that take over the baptism. I did, did that one time, and now they do all, they do, they take over those duties. And this is, uh, this is when they were, um, we, a lot of men are not married there. They're just living with their wives. They, it's just, it, the, the, the family is just totally uh, in peril there. And um, so, but these men came under conviction and wanted a dowry. That's their version of marrying their wives. And so we had a celebration recognizing that fact. And then just some more pictures of us early on in the church plant. Um, just, uh, just teaching the children there. And... Um, this is just, again, when we're, we're daubing the house of somebody there that needed a home. And um, you can see one home there that's ripped, the roof is ripped off. And I had I just suggested to the men that they would help the Oma, which is what they call, uh, you know, it's, a, it's respectful, Oma. And, uh, and so they did that. And again, our, our vision for Baylor Baptist Church is a simple vision statement. Love God, love people, and serve the community. And this is uh, where we bought some land. God provided some land for us and back in September I traveled to Liberia and we were able to buy two acres and so now in the village we're going to implement all those other things that we just talked about and showed you so please join us whether it's by giving, going or praying we would love, you're welcome to come and we'll feed you something other than just chicken feet, I promise but Jesus is building his church he's building his church and we praise God for being a part of that. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for your glory. We thank you for your church. We thank you for your promises that we can rest in. 
and for your sovereign will in all things. We just pray, God, that in all of our lives, we would, we would be use of you, Lord, to advance your church for the glory of the King for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.